0: So as Reverend Carowin stood up to receive his sentencing from Judge Bailey, he pulled out a second revolver, placed the barrel to his temple, pulled the trigger, and... The afternoon paper even said that he had died with a bullet wound clean through his skull. Although his body was gone, His ghost remained. It wasn't long after all this trial, after all this had happened, that people started reporting something very strange occurring in this building. People started whispering and saying it's the ghost of Reverend Carowin haunting this building. They say that yes indeed, Reverend Carowin's spirit is here, a very angry, malevolent spirit after all these years Reverend Carowen still haunts the old Beaufort County Courthouse
1: welcome to Fright Court I'm Chris Mears with the judicial branch communications office in this special Halloween episode of all things judicial I ventured east to Beaufort County to the city of Washington. There, I interviewed Terry Rollins in the second oldest courthouse in North Carolina to ask the question, are some of North Carolina's courthouses haunted? Terry attempted to answer this question by sharing two Beaufort County legends associated with the North Carolina judicial branch. The first legend involves the 1853 trial of Reverend George Washington Carawan who some believe still haunts the old Beaufort County Courthouse to this very day. The second legend involves former Associate Supreme Court Justice George Brown and his wife Laura Ellison Brown. The Justice and his wife were local benefactors in the city of Washington who, after their deaths, bequeathed their estate to establish a public library. The library found a permanent place on the Justice's old home site, but some report that the Browns continued to visit the library almost a hundred years after their deaths. Are these legends true? And are some of North Carolina's courthouses haunted? You be the judge. Terry, it is so good to see you again um, here in Washington, North Carolina. It's such a a historic town, and I really appreciate your time. Could you introduce yourself?
0: Okay, certainly. It's good to see you, Chris. Um, My name is Terry Rollins. I uh, am the Youth Services Librarian at the Brown Library here in Washington. And uh, Chris and I are actually at the BHM Library as we're recording this, which is the Beaufort Hyde-Martin Regional Library. The BHM Library is housed in the old Beaufort County Courthouse, which was erected in 1786, making it the second oldest courthouse still standing in North Carolina. Only the Chowan County Courthouse in Edenton is older. And we are in the old courtroom upstairs, which still looks very much like it probably did in the late 1800s.
1: So the reason why I'm here today is, uh, this is part of our Fright Court Investigation series. Um, I understand there's a legend associated with this courtroom. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: I'd be happy to. Uh, Yes, supposedly this courtroom is haunted. There's been so many people over the years who have experiences with a trial and the members of that trial that took place here in 1853. So I can tell you that story. So it goes like this. George Washington Carowin was a Baptist minister in eastern North Carolina in the 1800s. And in 1852, a murder took place here in eastern North Carolina with Carowin supposedly as the murderer in that event. Uh, the, The murder itself did not take place here in Washington. It didn't even take place in Beaufort County. It took place next door in Hyde County. Uh, Reverend Carowin and his wife had a, uh, a church there that they ministered to and they had a large house that served as the parsonage. And as would have been customary back then, if you had a large house, you rented out rooms to boarders and that's what the Carowins had done. One young man who had recently been living with the Carowins was a young school teacher named Clement Lassiter. Mr. Laster had a couple of little one-room schoolhouses in the Lake Matamasquite area of Hyde County uh, that he was the teacher of. So one afternoon, Mr. Laster was walking past Carowin's house when he very strongly and clearly heard Mrs. Carowin screaming for help. Lasseter rushed into the house and found Mrs. Carowin on the floor in one of the rooms, standing above her with what was left of a broken wooden chair was Reverend Carowin, the woman's husband, and he was literally beating his wife to death. And so Mr. Lassiter rushed in and pulled Mrs. Carowen over to the side to safety, and he and Reverend Carowen got into a very, very heated argument. Reverend Carowin was just full of rage, they say, and he was accusing Lassiter and Mrs. Carowen of improper conduct, and both vehemently denying that anything had ever happened between the two of them. But Reverend Kerouin would not be calmed down, and it's said that he got his gun and he chased Clement Lassiter out of the house, out into the marshy area there uh, around Lake Matta And shortly thereafter, neighbors heard gunfire going off. And right after that, people found the body of Clement Lassiter with three gunshot wounds in his chest. So, Reverend Carowan was immediately arrested for the murder of the school teacher. He was held in the old Hyde County Jail, but he did not feel that he'd get a fair trial in Hyde County where everybody knew him, and so he requested from the courts that the trial be moved. And the courts granted this and moved the trial to Beaufort County, here to Washington, to this building. Reverend Carroll was brought up the river, up the Pamlico River, and held here for many months. It took this trial almost an entire year to come to be, so by November of 1853, the trial was finally ready to be held here. Uh, Reverend Carolyn, during all that time, had been held in the old jail which had stood beside this building. So the trial came and uh, this was just sensational for Eastern North Carolina. It had already made all kinds of news headlines. And so newspapers here say that day after day, the courtroom was filled with people. The offices down below were filled with people. And even out on the streets, people were, you know, here to find out what was going to happen. After a few days of trial and lots of information, it was pointed out during the trial that this was not the first Mrs. Carowan. There had been a, a wife prior to this who had died under mysterious circumstances as had her children. So that came out. It also came out that Reverend Carowin had often brought many members of his church forward, including his own brother, and accused them of similar kind of behavior as he had done with Clement Lassiter. Information came out that could not be presented during the trial, but it was recorded from both sets of attorneys that the Carowins' slave man, an elderly black man, had told both sets of lawyers that, yes, indeed, Reverend Carowin had killed that school teacher and had forced him as a slave to try to bury the body hastily. Um, but again, a slave would not have had a voice in an 1853 court, but it is written down in notes from both sets of lawyers that that testimony had been heard. So lots and lots of information had come out and the jury had patiently listened to all of this so that after a few days, Judge Bailey instructed the jury that tomorrow morning they would present the verdict. It's reported in the newspapers here in Washington that there was probably over 500 people present for that Uh, verdict the next morning, courtroom filled with people, uh, the streets filled with people just waiting to hear the verdict. Guilty was the verdict that was handed down which surprised not a single person, but what happened next surprised everybody. Judge Bailey instructed Reverend Carowin to stand up in the prisoner's box to receive his sentencing, and when he did so, Reverend Carowin pulled out a loaded revolver and began firing. The first shot hit the prosecutor, Mr. Warren, in the chest, knocking him to the floor. And then, supposedly from witnesses, bullets began flying. Windows uh, were struck, so glass was shattering. People, of course, now are screaming. The jurors are trying to get under their seats. Judge Bailey has ducked down behind the uh, judge's desk there. And the people who were sitting in the audience are scrambling to get under the uh, the seats people are knocking each other down trying to get out of the courtroom going down the steps to go outside outside of course people are hearing all of this and running in every direction it, it's just utter chaos so the newspaper reports before he could be subdued by the deputies in the courtroom reverend Carowin pulled yet a second loaded pistol from his waistcoat put the barrel to his temple and pulled the trigger and collapsed dead in the prisoner's box He was the only one that died that day. Miraculously, uh, Mr. Warren, the prosecutor, had been wearing a heavy locket with a portrait of his wife inside. That bullet had hit that locket, ricocheted off into the wall. Mr. Warren had fallen to the floor from the impact of it, but uh, survived and went on to have a brilliant law career. They took Reverend Carowin's body, and they buried it in the old prisoner's cemetery, which used to be out by the jail. That cemetery's long gone, those bodies all exhumed and placed elsewhere. The people of Washington were so upset that this murderer's body had been buried in Washington, where he had no right to be, that they contacted the family to have them come here and exhume the body and take it back to Hyde County. And supposedly, this is what Mrs. Carowen and her relatives did. They came under the cloak of darkness, dug his body up and hauled it back to Hyde County and buried it there near the Rose Bay community. Although his body was gone, his ghost remained. It wasn't long after all this trial, after all this had happened, that people started reporting something very strange occurring in this building. On days when there were no trials, no activity up in this old courtroom, people down below in their offices would report that they would hear what sounded like furniture being knocked over, loud commotion, gunshots going off, glass shattering. People would run up here, open up the doors, and everything was in place as it should be. People started whispering and saying it's the ghost of Reverend Carowind haunting this building. And those stories have persisted decade after decade, year after year, since 1853. Today, if you come to BHM Library and you pull aside some of the older librarians who've worked here for a while and ask about the ghost, they'll tell you in a hushed voice that yes, indeed, they have heard the ghost they know that this building is haunted by Reverend Carowen. Many people have come here, ghost hunting groups have come to this old courtroom and picked up all kinds of energy, orbs of light, and even seances have been done here in this building. And every time they say that yes indeed, Reverend Carowen's spirit is here, a very angry, malevolent spirit uh, who wants people to just leave him alone. After all of these years, Reverend Carolyn still haunts the old Beaufort County Courthouse.
1: There's still another famous jurist that visits Washington, North Carolina from beyond the grave. Can you tell us a little bit about a Supreme Court justice named George Hubbard Brown? I'd be happy to. Uh, I
0: mentioned early on that I work at Brown Library. Well, Brown Library is named for George Brown and his wife, Laura Ellison Brown. Uh, The Browns lived here in Washington. Uh, They had a house that used to stand where the current Brown Library stands. And uh, Judge Brown had gone into law as a young man here in Washington and uh, had worked his way up the ladder so that in 1904, he was elected as an Associate Justice to the North Carolina Supreme Court and was sworn in in 1905. He served on that court until 1921 when he finally retired and moved back here to Washington. Mr. and Ms. Brown were just really, really active here in Washington and in Raleigh. They had no children of their own, but they were avid readers. Mrs. Brown just absolutely loved to read. And uh, Washington in the early 1900s had a public library, the Washington Public Library but it was always located in various upstairs buildings or spaces in downtown Washington, never really accessible to people who might have been elderly or handicapped in any way. Um, At one time it was even in a chemical company, the upstairs of that, so just these odd places, and it moved around every few years to a different location. So it was Mrs. Brown, and uh, Judge Brown's desire that they would leave their estate to establish a public library here in Washington, a permanent home for that library. Judge Brown passed away in 1926 at the age of 75, but Mrs. Brown lived on until 1942, when she died at 92 years of age. And in her final will, she willed the majority, the bulk of the Brown's estate to Washington to establish that permanent home for a library that would carry their name on it. And and so for the first few years, Uh, during World War II and shortly thereafter, the Washington Public Library collection was actually held in the Brown's house there on Van Norden Street. And in the early 1950s, that house was torn down and a new brick library was built. Many years later, the city of Washington would take that over as a department of the city and increase the size of the library, but it has always, since it was founded, carried the name of George H. and Laura E. Brown. The building is haunted and we feel very strongly, those of us who work there, that it's haunted by the spirits of Mr. and Ms. Brown. Nothing to fear, mind you, but uh, sort of uh, spirits that guide the library and guide some of our decision making even. Oftentimes we'll just get that sense of Mr. and Ms. Brown's presence in the library. We have, have a lot of their own personal books in the library, so whenever we are working with those, or using some of the items from their home that we house there. We just have that feeling that they're there. Mr. Brown's presence is often felt in our history room. Uh, Certainly with the documents and the history that are there, it appeals very much to his spirit to kind of wander through, keep everything in place, check on things. So people have reported sensing his presence there. Mrs. Brown seems to go all over the library, and she seems absolutely fascinated with technology. One day, I had a coworker uh, go up in our elevator to our upstairs meeting room to do some work, and then she got ready to come back down, got on the elevator, and before she could push the button to go back to the ground floor, something whispered in her ear.
1: Down, please.
0: And she sensed very clearly that it was a woman's voice, and that she sensed immediately it was Laura Brown. Um, My coworker took the steps down that afternoon. Uh, But oftentimes we get those sensations from the spirits of the Brown that they're there just kind of looking after where their house had been,
1: looking after the library's collection and uh, helping us out. If any members of our audience wanted to come take a tour of the city of Washington. um, How would they get in touch with you?
0: Okay, you can always contact me at Brown Library. Uh, We have a a website. Uh, You can also call us there at the library. The number of the library is 252-946-4300. Again, just ask for me. I'm the Youth Services Librarian there. Um, for the Ghost Walk itself, Washington Haunts, we have a Facebook page. So just look up Washington Haunts
1: and follow us there. We post our schedule and all Harry information on that site. Well, Terry Rollins, this was a pleasure to be with you. Um, you are a true friend of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. Um, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Chris. You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. Thanks for listening. Testing, testing. All right, so just hold that maybe just a few inches away from your mouth. Okay. Okay, a little closer. Okay. Down, please. Down, please. Now do it real slow and drawn out. Down, please. Is that good? Um, can you add a little more southern to it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Uh, down, please. I don't know. So add the southern and carry. Down, please. Um, Emphasize down. Down, (laughs) please. Down, please.